It's so difficult not being able to see people's faces and not being able to see their smiles. It's something that I miss a lot. Arrogance and self-importance are key contributors to an inability to feel empathy, and these things run rampant through evangelical Christianity. I think in particular about these people's coworkers. Right. How they go to church and they spread this thing around there and they don't even give enough of a fuck about the people that they work with to not go back into those situations knowing, knowing that they could have been exposed. Yeah. They don't care. They go back, they go about their day, they go about their week and they don't give two shits what happens to anybody at work. If we don't want to be like everything that we've talked about tonight, it is very important that we make that first step and be the ones that bring peace to the situation and not escalate. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell, and it's time to get unbound. You know, this happens every single time I get into this vortex of quote-unquote Karen videos <laughs> and anti-maskers and all of this stuff. It yeah. just starts churning up more that I can say about this entire thing. Mm. Also couple it with the fact that the term peace on earth right. has been ringing in my head a lot because of the time of year. It doesn't feel like Christmas time this year at all. Uh, no. It amazes me how close we are to Christmas at this point. Yeah. And just the entire climate of our society right now. You see, this is this is what I do. I get upset about these things. And yeah. then I go out looking for answers as to why certain right. things happen. Because I find that understanding why certain things happen makes it a little bit easier to deal with. It's not like it puts the entire thing to bed, no. but it does make it a little bit easier to deal with when you understand a lot of the whys and wherefores of the way that people behave. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we are going to be talking about why so many people lack empathy. Right. And I think that understanding that a little bit better will help those of us who do have that sense of empathy to at least be able to piece together what's going on in the world right now. Before we do that, I just want to put out a quick appeal. Our Patreon account can be found at patreon.com slash unboundpodcastnetwork.com. And if you have the means, we would appreciate your help and your support. If you don't because of all kinds of circumstances, not the least of which being 2020. Mm. We completely get that. We started this podcast right before the world went to shit. <laughs> and we know that there's a lot of people out there who aren't working, who, especially at this time of year, are just trying to figure out how they're going to do right by their families and their loved ones, get them a present or two. We get that. If you are low on funds, then please, by all means, continue just enjoying and getting what you need out of this resource. But please tell somebody about it this week. Purpose to tell someone about the podcast who needs to hear it. Someone that you know who's on the fence about their faith. Someone who is out and struggling with all of the emotions that go along with being out. We all know people who are like that. And they need to hear what we have to say. So if you can't support us with your dollars, support us with your clicks. Share our content wherever you do social media. And 
incorporate what you've learned from past episodes of this show into conversations, link out to an episode when you think that it's appropriate. These things will help to spread yes. the word and just talk about it. We've said it before, let people know that we're out here. There are loads of people who stand to benefit from this resource who don't even know that we're here. So do your part. Let's make sure that we are all doing what we need to do to help people get and stay unbound. And that's all I'm going to say about that before we get right into the heart of our message tonight. So what is empathy? In a nutshell, empathy is the ability to care about the hurts, concerns, safety needs, and predicaments of other people. It's what makes what is thankfully still a majority of people do things like wear masks in public during a pandemic. I hope to present a few other real-world examples packaged in the context of the current social climate of what empathy is and what it isn't, and these are things that we all need to understand. We need to think about these things as we continue both doing our best to do the right thing and continue witnessing others failing or refusing to do so. Because another part of empathy is understanding where the other person is coming from, whether you agree with them or not. One thing I think it's important to realize is that it didn't take a pandemic to bring out the worst in us. It just took something as big as a pandemic to shine a spotlight on it. Four years of a presidential administration that practically got off on violating human rights, marginalizing people, and destigmatizing being outwardly racist, homophobic, and xenophobic didn't hurt either. Now, Evangelicals do have a particular influence on society's lack of empathy, and as we go, we're going to show you how. Again, this is not something they have necessarily exacted on society, but they go further than any group out there to perpetuate it. And in more than a few instances, they have done and continue to do a stellar job of providing some of the most glowing examples of man's inhumanity to man. They push back on the very things that can end this crisis and ensure the health, safety, and well-being of not just themselves, but everyone they come into contact with both in and outside of church. Selfishness and a lack of care about others is something society has dealt with for a very long time. We've all heard the sayings, every man for himself. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You have to keep up with the Joneses. Always look out for number one and the aforementioned man's inhumanity to man. Now, all of these sayings are older than I am, older than both of us are. Right. That means that things have always been bad when it comes to people just not caring about each other. And it's hardly just an American thing, but America has provided some of the worst examples of people's lack of care for one another anywhere. This is not surprising when one realizes that the United States has some of the worst labor laws and workplace policies anywhere, and how just maintaining your living denies you of the ability to have a comfortable life. And no, we aren't the beginning and end of this problem as Americans, but I think it goes without saying that the rest of the world is influenced in no small way by the way that we think and behave. That leaves us with the responsibility to set a good example. But you know what? That's hard to do when we get less vacation time on average than people in most European countries. We earn an embarrassingly small amount of money for the time that we spend at work. New parents in America get a fraction of the leave that workplaces in other countries offer, and their governments mandate these policies. It isn't left up to the business owners to decide right. how to treat employees when it comes to time off. And in America, you don't get paternity leave at all. We constantly feel pinched when it comes to keeping all of our bills paid and keeping food on our tables. 
So what does this have to do with our alarmingly common lack of empathy? In short, we get forced into a mindset of self-protection. We don't feel in control. In some states, wages are so low and cost of living so high that people can work full-time and still qualify for public assistance. We struggle to hold on to what little we've got and lose sight of who we are in the process. In that instance, the world becomes the enemy. So when asked to protect the enemy, we approach the task with varying degrees of resentment. Now, when someone tries to tell us the new rule is no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service, it motivates most of us to feel a little cramped in our style. But some people resist and push back. Even I did at the beginning. And those who already have a lack of empathy are going to push back harder. They're going to be louder and they're going to be angrier. And, you know, I think that it was my sense of empathy that allowed me to accept the truth about masking, that it was safe for me, that it was safe for me and that it helps others. That was enough for me to decide compliance was the necessary course. I stopped worrying about the fake consequences of rebreathing CO2. I stopped thinking about being uncomfortable. I stopped considering my own preferences and decided that I didn't want to be part of the problem. I further decided to do my part to ensure a future that doesn't involve wearing a mask everywhere I go. It's okay to consider the personal benefits too, as long as the scales stay balanced in our heads between what's in it for me and what's in it for everybody. But far too many people just aren't like that. Stephen King has an even more shameful but accurate, unfortunately accurate, look at how people essentially relate to each other. And this was a quote from a while ago, and it shows up in the movie The Mist. Um, and a paraphrase of it shows up in the movie right. The Mist. As a species, we're fundamentally insane. Put more than two of us in a room, and we pick sides and start dreaming up reasons to kill one another. Why do you think we invented politics and religion? <laughs> Laws, too. Yeah. That, that's a big part of it also. But that's part of politics. William Golding understood this concept, too. Just read Lord of the Flies. Yeah. And what happens in that book... When you place a bunch of people in one place with no laws, no rules, no anything, it spirals down into what Stephen King was just talking about. Now, on a slightly lighter note, the last episode of Seinfeld kind of explored an interesting countermeasure to this problem. And I think about the whole masking thing when I think about this. Make people help and throw them in jail if they don't. It's an appealing notion when one thinks about how some people will never understand that wearing a mask to protect others is something they need to do. And admit it. Come on. Admit it. You've cheered at least once and at least on the inside watching someone get removed from a store for not wearing a mask. Whether you were standing there or watching it on a video, you right. had a little yes moment over that. <laughs> I think we all have. But just like anything else, people who aren't wired for empathy will never feel any, even if you deny them service at a store, get into a shouting match with them over wearing a mask, or even threaten their freedom for failing to comply with mask and social distancing mandates. Threats and fear of consequence may bring some people into compliance, but it won't change them, and it's far more likely to draw out those tendencies in other areas and situations later. More importantly, forcing compliance teaches the individual nothing. If they can't be convinced to do things or behave in ways that serve the greater good simply because it's the right thing, they just don't have the emotional capacity to feel empathy or the cognitive ability to learn it. What's in it for me is the motto of most people who lack empathy. If they don't see the personal benefit of doing something, they don't see why they have to do it. 
Anti-maskers like to assert their own liberties over the safety of others, for example. Those who understand the concept of empathy and possess even a small degree of it view things like masking in the vein of what's in it for all of us. And they just do it because it's presented to them as a way to help others. So does that mean that we shouldn't force compliance? Do we just let people do what they want? Well, here's the thing. It's been observed that many people who have altercations with store staff over masking often storm off in a huff and then return later wearing a mask because, well, eventually you're going to need to buy groceries. Some make a game of it to spread misery or get views on YouTube. Like that one lady showing up in like 16 different places and recording <laughs> oh, yeah. all the altercations. Yeah, that's somebody who's just doing it because it strokes their ego. Right. I do think that stores need to enforce their policies and they need to make zero exceptions. Necessity will put a mask on that person's face eventually. It may not fix their attitude toward it, but that's not really the point, is it? We have plenty of other laws and regulations out there that keep people from hurting each other that we deal with every day already. Just for the sake of example, coming from the driving instructor, you can't drive on whichever side of the road you want. You can't decide that road markings, signs, and traffic lights don't apply to you or how you operate your vehicle. If you fail to follow traffic laws and regulations, discard the rules of the road, and turn your driving environment into a free-for-all, you open yourself up to a variety of consequences. This is why some locales are now handing out fines for failing to mask up in public. Many people need a tangible threat imposed on them to simply do the right thing. So let me just add a quick addendum to that, to that one statement. Eventually, they're either going to put a mask on or they're going to discover the wonders of curbside pickup yeah. and other things where they just they sort of kind of get their way. But at the same time, they're still able to get shit done. Right. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And curbside is a smarter option anyway. Yeah. But, you know, people are going to do what they want. I've said it so many times on the show. People don't think in terms of right and wrong. They think in terms of what is convenient for them at that moment. So they're just going to do what they want. And just getting back to my my driving analogy, we've all seen people do some very stupid things in their cars. We we've seen I see more of it in my day because in the work that I do, I get to witness like anywhere from four to six hours of it several times a week. We've seen cars pulled over and each of us has probably been pulled over at some point. We have to take a like it or not approach to lots of things in the name of public safety and traffic laws are just one example of this. Laws themselves exist to protect us from each other. People comply when the consequences for not outweigh the blow to their ego if they do. In other words, if it's more trouble not to comply than it is to just do what's expected, most will do what's expected, and thankfully most of them will stew about it silently. But then, of course, there are the ones that are much louder and much Mm -hmm. more aggressive, and those are the ones that wind up on YouTube. But it's a much bigger problem than even what you see on YouTube, because I've even seen people walking around stores cursing and swearing at the arrows on the floors and muttering things under their breath and just making it just a little bit louder when they get in proximity of someone who works at the store, because clearly all of this is their fault. Right. You know, so I see that a lot. But there are some uh, significant root causes for people having a lack of empathy. And I want to go through just a little bit of a laundry list here and give some commentary as we go. 
One of the biggest things I think is emotional overload. A lot of people have issues dealing with someone else's problems. Those problems become too cumbersome or they just can't muster up the emotional strength to even listen. And I've had this happen to me and I've heard of it happening to other people where you get into a conversation with somebody and it starts getting a little bit heavy and then you can you can tell that they're starting to wander off or sometimes they literally wander off. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even think sometimes they're realizing that they're being rude. It's just that their brain decides, okay, I've had enough of this. Yeah. And they just stop listening. <laughs> and sometimes they sit there and they stop listening while they stare at you and nod. And sometimes they literally just stop listening. They'll take out their phones mm-hmm. and they'll start scrolling or whatever. I've seen it happen a couple of times. And right. I may, I mean, I, I can't think of an example right off the top of my head, but I know that I've been in situations like that where I've started feeling overloaded and probably have gone into shutdown mode with people myself. Right. It's it's easy to do, especially especially these days, because everyone is overloaded. Everyone is overworked to a certain extent. And yep. it's just fatigue from doing all of this stuff. Emotional fatigue, physical fatigue, you name yeah. it. Yeah. I know I'm sleeping a whole lot more than I used to, and that could be depression, but it also is just, I'm tired. Well, I mean, we got nothing to do. Right. See, that's that's most of it, is that we spend so much time at home at this point. Right. Inactivity in and of itself yeah. can be very, very tiring. Yeah. So just the fact that there's really nothing to do outside this house to entertain us yeah has a huge bearing on that and yeah the depression aspect of it no 2020 has not been the year for people with depression at all Uh, no it hasn't no not at all the next cause that i jotted down here is is selfishness and a lack of social grace didn't your mother ever teach you manners i mean i find myself thinking this watching people behave in stores especially now but before too yeah. Definitely before too, but especially now. I see the way some people behave in stores and the way that they talk to service workers. And my immediate thought is, Jesus, didn't your mother teach you manners? Yeah. There have been instances where I've actually stepped in and said something to that person because I know that the person behind the counter can't. They have their own set of rules that they have to follow. And we're going to get into the impact on service workers in just a couple of minutes. Oh, yeah. But they have their rules and protocols that they have to follow. So sometimes I find myself playing the role of the vigilante a little bit in those (laughs) situations. But as many people in my life will tell you, I've always had this saving people thing. So when I see injustice, sometimes I just feel like I have to deal with it. It's kind of the superhero mentality. You kind of want to disappear into a back room and come back out in in your suit and cape and say, stop abusing that person. (laughs) Most of the time, I just let it go because there are hills to die on. And sometimes you just have to decide whether or not this is one of them. But especially this year, I found it happening a lot more often where I see something going down and either I'll say something Or I'll just breach that six-foot barrier and look at the person. It's like someone else is listening to you. Don't you feel stupid? Maybe you should stop now. (laughs) And I find sometimes at least that that has as much of an effect as saying something to them. And it gets less of a rise. So I'm not giving you tips here. I'm not trying to tell (laughs) you this is what you should do. I'm telling you this is how the spider manages his shit. That's pretty much it. But that level of selfishness. 
And the whole me aspect of it is very, very prevalent in people that lack empathy. A lot of times it has to do with their past and being hurt by others. And once you go through a good amount of shit, your brain just goes into this mode of I'm going to treat the world as badly as they've treated me. And unfortunately, that's the route that a lot of people take, especially when they aren't in the position to seek out things like therapy and counseling and ways to start dealing with the things that have happened to them. There are a lot of people out there with untapped and untreated mental illness. And a lot of times that is the impetus for a lot of a lack of empathy, especially in happier times when they're walking around and they see people living normal lives and they see people being generally happy and knowing that they're not. Even outside of a pandemic environment, this can be a really, really big thing. And the notion of just treating other people badly in a perverse way makes them feel good. Then there's the whole idea of racist thoughts and ideas. We talked a lot about this during the uh, pre-election episode that we did. So I'm just going to say a couple quick words here. There is, and a lot of it is, is in this country, but it's in other places too. If you follow Jane Elliott at all, you can, you know that she's done her brown eye, blue eye experiment, like literally all over the world. And you see the same kinds of tendencies coming out in people, because as I've said before, people aren't that different from each other. It doesn't really matter where they live. These tendencies are still in there. But here in America, I think that it really has reached, has reached. It's been an epidemic proportions for a very, very long time. I'm white and that comes with certain privileges. And I saw a YouTube video not long ago where someone literally stood there and said it out loud. Now, there's a part of me that says you kind of have to admire that level of honesty, but can you be honest about something positive? Yeah, I mean, can, can can you maybe not just acknowledge that this is part of who you are, but maybe sort of kind of try and see the wrong in it? Yeah. You know, there is that aspect of it. A conscious exercise of white privilege is a clear sign of a lack of empathy. And this particular issue has definitely become way more visible within the past five years. It's been more empowered in the last five years based on the initial campaign and the presidency that we just saw that is thankfully ending in, what, 42 days? Something Somewhere in that neighborhood. Less than that by the time this airs. Then there are those misogynistic and misandrist tendencies. And for those who aren't familiar with that second term, it's basically the opposite of misogyny. It's man-hating. I've seen this kind of posturing, especially in some of the uh, videos on YouTube, where someone's trying to enter a store and the female employee is trying to keep him out. Well, no woman is going to tell me to put on a mask and no woman is going to tell me I can't do my shopping. You see that. And then there's the other end of it where it's a male employee trying to keep a female customer from coming in without a mask and then it turns into i'm done taking orders from men i didn't go through that nightmare divorce to have you stand there and tell me that i have to do anything or whatever the circumstance is whether they vocalize it or not the sentiment is right there and usually laid out in black and white a lot of times they lay it right out in black and white 
whether they bring gender into it or not, it's very, very easy to understand where some of these attitudes come from. Some of the uh, lack of empathy that we see in people comes from just observing boorish and insensitive behaviors from the time they can remember. Lack of empathy isn't always chemical. It can be a learned behavior acquired by watching the adults in our lives interact with, speak disparagingly about, or outwardly insult and degrade other people. And the more you see this, the more you start thinking that way, especially as a child. Then there's the problem of not feeling loved or accepted. Why should I care if my actions affect you? No one cares how their actions affect me. On a purely surface level, that might be true, just given the way that the world is. But a lot of times this is perceived and not reality. And it's because that's where this person's mind is. They have a hard time expressing and receiving love. So they go into this mode of nobody loves me because they can't spot it when they see it and they can't recognize it when someone tries to extend it to them. So if you don't feel loved or accepted, it becomes very difficult to even start to care about how your actions affect others. Then there's the issue of personality disorders. I bring this up a lot on the show. It's something that's touched my life uh, pretty closely, pretty recently. But people who have personality disorders, particularly on the cluster B spectrum, things like narcissism and borderline, they tend to be chemically predisposed to having a lack of empathy. They are the centers of their own universes, and it doesn't matter to them how their behavior affects anyone. Don't like me? That's on you. I'm a nice person. And if you don't like that I'm not wearing a mask, just stay away from me. You're the real problem here. Just leave me alone. I've seen that many times too. And I don't want to lump everybody that has one of these disorders into this category because I've also seen the opposite where there are people who clearly have issues in this realm, but are also very militantly pro-masking, pro-social distancing. So it's not a given that if someone is a narcissist or if they have BBD or something like that, that they're going to automatically think this way. But it's more prevalent in people who have narcissistic tendencies to just flat out not care and treat the other person like they're the problem because they're the one that's complying. So there is that. A lot of emotional insecurities lead to a lack of empathy. People who generally feel like they lack control over their lives and the situations that are part of them tend to gravitate toward protecting their own comforts. And this goes right back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, where especially in America, we fight tooth and nail to just hold on to what little we've got. A lot of us do. And that can be very emotionally taxing over time. How about being treated unfairly by family or those in the workplace? This is a big one. This is a big thing that chips away at someone's sense of empathy over time. People who have their mistakes and shortcomings laid out in front of them by people they see and interact with all the time, especially when it comes from immediate family and especially if it comes from a parent, this can be a real problem. It goes right back to being unable to treat people better than others have treated them. And that is... I'm sorry, is a very, very, very difficult thing to learn to do. I've gone through my share of this. The world and the people in it have not been particularly kind to the spider. But just like with everything that I talk about in terms of getting out of evangelical faith, I think that the thing that shielded me from a lot of this 
denial mentality when it comes to this particular issue stems from the fact that I was always in there and I never just let go of myself. I never just let my mind be taken over by all of the doctrine or by all of the negativity and the anger. And boy, did I have anger. I was a very, very angry child. I was an angry teenager. I was an angry adult. When I started getting help for these things is when I started understanding the value of other people. But even before, I feel like I had more of a sense of right and wrong. And I think that even with if anger management had never been a thing, I would probably still be wearing a mask today. Yeah. So I'm one of those exceptions to the rule, just like we talked about with personality disorders. I feel like I probably would have still done it because at the end of the day, as angry as I was and as much disdain as I had for this world, I still didn't want to go out and potentially kill somebody. It was never a thing in my head. So I think that that was one thing that really shielded me from a lot of this was the fact that my, that I was always in there somewhere. And when I started getting help, I started understanding a bit more what the value is of having other people in your life who, especially those that are there to help you and move you along and, help you get through this thing called life. So now I want to make the case for our people in service positions and the things that have been going on there, especially since the whole pandemic crisis began. One of the things that cultivates a lack of empathy, being dealt with rudely by others on a continuing basis can really, really do a number on you. Many service workers have done a complete 180 in terms of attitude since the beginning of the pandemic, and many will suffer post-traumatic stress from the constant onslaught of anger and resistance to following the new guidelines that they're getting from people right now, especially younger people. I really feel for the younger generations here. We've had time to come to grips with the fact that there's a lot of horrible people out there. Yeah. But I think that for a lot of these kids and young adults, let's let's not call them kids, I think for a lot of these younger people who are in these kinds of service positions and they're seeing this every day and they're seeing people at their absolute worst are getting far more of a crash course on it than we ever did. Yeah. And I think that it is affecting them a whole lot more than it does most people our age because we've seen a lot more of man's inhumanity to man. It's just one of those things where after a while, we reached a point where we just sort of threw our hands up in the air and said, oh, well, that's people, you know, don't worry about them. Focus on being a good person yourself. And that's been the solution for us for a long time. But now you've got a young generation of people entering the workforce, and this is what they are being dealt. This is what they're dealing with every single day. So yeah, there's post-traumatic stress involved with this. And they're getting a crash course on just how cruel and horrible people really can be. And that's making them cynical at best and depressed and even suicidal at worst. It makes people in those positions not care about any of the things that you're supposed to care about as a retail worker. They don't care if you have a good experience in their store. And they certainly don't care if you have a nice day. I mean, come on. They're not having a nice day. I'm pretty sure that there are plenty of people out there in service industry jobs who have not had a nice day either Mm. at work or out of work for a very long time at this point. So they deal with the stresses of life when they're not at work. 
And then when they go to work, they're dealing with their own stresses and then the stresses of everyone heaping shit on them for eight, 10, 12 hours a day, depending on what their job is and how customer facing it is. So there is a lot of this going on right now. And the other half of this, and you know, I kind of got a twinge of guilt just typing these words out earlier, but it also makes them not care that you're trying to be nice. You know, somebody comes in and treats these people with a modicum of decency. It really, it comes together in their mind as kind of a too late, too little proposition. They've been hurt and insulted so many times, especially within the past six, eight months or more at this point that they have actually developed issues in just processing civility. They don't know how to deal with it when someone comes in and they're nice and they don't know how to shift that attitude and focus to mirror the way they're being treated at the moment. Once you're in that store, once you are in that drive-through line or whatever it is, they just want you gone. Period. End of story. They want you gone. And I honestly, I don't blame them at this point. I really don't blame them because every time someone rolls up to that drive-through, it's a crapshoot as to whether or not they're going to be treated like a human being. Yeah. And I mean, it was that way before, but it's so much worse now. Oh yeah. It's so much worse now. Like I said, these are not new problems. These things have happened in service-related industries since there were service-related industries. There have been horrible people who have showed up at people's workplaces with the express purpose to just fuck up their day. This is not something new. But the sheer concentration of it now is really, really starting to change nice people into not nice people. So their lack of emotional capacity to even give you a chance to be decent is non-existent at this point. They show up for work, they go on emotional autopilot and do what they can to get through their day without being driven crazy. And good luck with that right now. Mm. It's a rare thing these days that I see any positivity in, in service workers. And, you know, I've said it several times already. I don't blame them. And there is another huge reason, I think, for why this particular kind of interaction has broken down so much since the pandemic started. And this is definitely a COVID-related thing that I'm going to get to in just a few. But I just want to make sure that I get through the rest of this list before we get into that. A lot of people who lack empathy also have an inability to accept or respond favorably to acts of kindness. Because for a lot of people, needing help makes them feel weak. Mm. They will wait until they really are at rock bottom before they will ask anyone else for anything. And having that kind of attitude toward your own well-being does not fare well for how you view other people. It just doesn't. If you don't like yourself, if you don't care about yourself, if you let your body or your mind or your emotions deteriorate to the point where now there's real damage done that may or may not be able to be undone, then how on earth are you supposed to give two shits about what someone else is going through? It's difficult to say the least. The next thing that I jotted down is feeling helpless and just the sheer weight of what's going on right now. And what can I even do about this? Well, you're being told what you can do about it. You're being told to wear a mask. You're being told to social distance. You're being told to stay home when you can. And those are the things that you can do. But for a lot of people, it just seems like a whole lot of nothing. 
And when I think about what I'm being asked to do, I, I look at it as being very simple, being very easy to pull off. And I don't view it as nothing. But if I had this mindset where it was all hopeless anyway, then why would I even have it in my mind to put on that mask? I yeah. don't care about my own well-being, so why am I going to care about someone else's? And what is one person putting on a mask going to do to solve this problem? Then there's the aspect of not cowing to those feelings. So there are people who feel those helpless feelings and then they, they mentally strike back at them and they'll refuse to wear a mask and they'll refuse to do what they're being asked to do because I refuse to live my life in fear. (laughs) It's just the other side of the same coin. They channel their feelings of helplessness in the face of this virus into defiance because it helps them feel more empowered. When you feel helpless, you want to feel empowered. So writing your own rules and being vocal and boisterous about that and the whole mindset of refusing to live in fear, well, that for a lot of people is the antidote to that helpless feeling. And then last but not least on this list is the notion of hopelessness for society, which we did tap a little bit at the beginning, but there are a lot of people out there that hold this kind of a view. The world that we live in is a cesspool and it's filled with horrible people. If they die, they die. Who cares? Everybody dies. So there's that hopeless, throw your hands up in the air and say, fuck it all kind of attitude that also leads to a sense of, to, to a lack of empathy. And the more visible man's inhumanity to man becomes, the more these concepts solidify in people's minds. Humanity is a hopeless case, and if this thing takes them out, so be it. You can look back 20 years at the lyrics to, to uh, Tool's song Anima, and you can see the same sentiments that were percolating then. And I'm certain long before then, some say the end is near. Some say we'll see Armageddon soon. I certainly hope we will. I sure could use a vacation from this. And that is where that hopeless kind of thinking, that's that's what this hopeless kind of thinking blossoms into eventually. So as I was going through all of that and realizing that a lot of the inspiration for this stuff comes from things that I happen upon on YouTube. It started making me think about the technology of today and what that has to do with all of this too. The information age, in my opinion, has led to the systematic impersonalization of relationships. And that's a big problem because it's hard to feel empathy for words on a screen. Right. And a lot of modern relationships have been reduced to that, where you don't get to hear people's voices and you don't get to see their faces. And it just, it makes it much more difficult to view people as real, as human. We start looking at other people like their data. And I think I've talked about this at least one other time on the show, where people will just, they'll be in a conversation with you. And maybe even in some kind of a relationship with you. And then all of a sudden, boom, just gone. They ghost you. They leave you on red. No goodbyes, no explanations, no semblance of reason for doing it. Not letting you know that you did anything wrong or that they were offended by anything. Just flat out gone. And I think that a big part of that has to do with the fact that we've started looking at people like we look at data. 
When we're done with them, we just delete them and move on. And that right there is enough to start percolating all kinds of negative feelings inside someone's head. The lack of meaningful in-person contact that has come along with the advent of the internet has really started to snowball, especially in the last decade, especially with the upsurge and rise of social media, especially Facebook. And no, I don't, I, I'm not going to sit here and demonize Facebook, but I think that most social media has its share of dangers, Yes. but online chats that are people's primary sources of social interaction with each other have been a thing really since the early nineties. Yeah. It started with things like Usenet and IRC chat and then blossomed into things like LiveJournal and then MySpace and then the stuff that we really look at and consider to be social media today. But relationships that form and are nurtured behind screens are very problematic when it comes to developing, just even developing a sense of empathy. And this is another thing that I fear for the younger generations is that they have grown up interacting with each other this way to a degree that it's much easier to view people in the way that we were just talking and see them more as things, more as tools, more as data that can be deleted when they want to than they do actual human beings like them. And I think that over time, the way that we interact these days is going to make this problem of empathy way, way worse or the lack of empathy way, way worse. The notion that you can talk to someone with just your thumbs. This has been a bone of contention of mine for a long time. But on the other side of that, I'm more comfortable sending an email than I am making a phone call. Right. So there are there there's there's a kind of weird a duality yeah. that goes along with that. I'm more comfortable sending an email or a text, but I also understand the necessity and the value of hearing someone's voice once in a while too. It's important. So the notion that you can talk to someone with just your thumbs has always been a bone of contention with me. And when I was jotting down that note, a video that I saw several years ago on YouTube came to mind. This was several years ago now that this video came out. And once you're done with this, and it'll be in the show notes too, so you can just basically click on it and just go right to it. But If you don't want to go to the show notes, just open up YouTube and in the main search, just type the words, look up this video. I checked it out, made sure that it was still there. And not only is it still there, it is the first thing that pops up when you type in, look up. It's a short film by Gary Turk that I think now more than ever, everybody needs to see. And I won't go into a lot of detail about it. But there are some serious warnings in that video about what this screen culture is doing to our relationships and what we are missing out on because so much of our lives have started becoming controlled by these little screens. So I think that it's something that everybody should see and should take heed of. Let's talk now. Now, I've used the COVID crisis as the example for most of these things, but The last list was more general stuff, you know, the whys and wherefores of what makes someone lose or never develop a sense of empathy. But let's talk specifically about what's going on right now, because what's going on right now, I think, is very important. I think that in a lot of instances, 
people's lack of empathy comes down to a lack of understanding of the situation. And this goes right back to my whole argument about social media. People lack empathy because they lack education or have been conditioned to believe that reputable sources are lying to them and that unreliable sources like their pastor or their favorite televangelist mm. or their favorite social media channel yeah. are the ones that possess the truth. And no, none of those things necessarily possess the truth, especially in terms of faith-based anything. There's very, very little truth in any of it. And you have to be so selective about what you decide to listen to on social media yeah. that it really makes me angry that these social media channels don't do more to protect people from things like fake news because a flat half of people out there now get their news from social media. Yeah. So there's a lot of bad information that it's circulating. And when you're being fed a bunch of lies, whether it's from the pulpit or from a smartphone screen, it does nothing to elevate your opinion of your fellow human beings, and it does nothing to elevate your optimism for where the world is going. Not that the truth will necessarily do that, because the truth can be pretty harsh too, yeah. but I think that understanding things better and at least having a firm grasp on what the situation is can help alleviate some of that sense of helplessness. I think that it can help get us into a point where we start questioning, well, is there something we can do? Not, well, what can I do? There's a different attitude to those two statements. Well, what can I do? I'm just one person. No, no. What can I do? What exactly can I do to make things better here? And when you are being exposed to the truth, and you have confidence that what you are listening to and believing is the truth because there are irrefutable evidences that what you are choosing to believe is true, it makes it easier to be a little bit more positive or at least at a bare minimum, a little bit more proactive about how you deal with the world. So there's the lack of understanding. Then there's the fear of personal loss. And this is a big one for a lot of people. People fear losing their identity behind a mask or by simply complying with measures that equate to going with the crowd. It's an effort to maintain their individuality and not turn into a puppet for the establishment. In this instance, it's not about losing loved ones or possessions. It's about losing themselves. And for a lot of people, it's something that they just can't handle. So in comes this fight back instinct that tells them, okay, fuck the rest of the world. I'm not doing this. And it just snowballs from there. We've talked at length on this show about the threats to people's personal politics if they just decide to comply with all of this. They need to be right. People need to be right. And that need is a huge motivator for people who lack empathy. If you disagree with them, you're not just someone with a counter opinion or counter argument. You are the enemy. Your opinion just flat out doesn't matter. Your feelings flat out don't matter. Your well-being just doesn't matter to them. In my lifetime, I've never seen this play out with the vigor that it has over a president who, to any rational thinking person, is the antithesis of anything wholesome, kind, or good. But once people have an idea in their head, it's hard to knock it out. This kind of political strong-arming extends to loads of other issues like vaccines and abortion and these things that long predate our experience with a global pandemic. I think another big piece of this puzzle is also the whole aspect of the protection that social media 
right. gives you. The shield of the screen, as it were. People are far quicker to be loud and boisterous about their opinions when they are physically absent from the conversation. It's a lot easier to be rude to someone on the phone when you're not standing right there in front of them. Although that example seems to be deteriorating more by the day. But the safety of the screen really does embolden people. And it solidifies toxic thoughts and behaviors in a lot of people because the consequences are limited. What's going to happen? I'm going to get a Facebook ban? Big deal. I'll make a new account. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that most people will approach that. They won't change their behaviors just because the platform is putting some duct tape over their mouth for 30 days. That's not the point. The point is that they still get to say what they want to say. They may just have to wait another month before they can say it again. And it's that safety of the screen that really, really emboldens people, I think. It just churns up more toxic behaviors and more toxic thought and more bad blood between people. And the more you see that, the less you're going to see people empathizing with the way the world is or the things that people are going through. Well, people treat me like shit, so fuck them. That's really where it ultimately heads. Now, I teased at this one a little while ago, and I want to make sure that it gets out. One of the things that I personally have struggled the most with throughout this entire thing is not being able to see people's facial expressions, not being able to see a smile once in a while. It's something that for me personally has been a real stopping point. It's like I'll see somebody... And my tendency, or even even theirs, because there's still plenty of people out there that have good hearts and good spirits and whatnot. But it used to be if I walked past somebody and made eye contact with them, I could tell that they were smiling back. And a lot of times it's very difficult to tell just by looking at somebody's eyes what's going on with the rest of their face. And when all you can see is somebody's eyes, you you don't know really where you stand with them or what they're thinking when they pass by you. Or what they're thinking when they when they hand off that bag at the at the drive through at Duncan. You know, there's there's all kinds of questions. It's like, did I make this person's day a little bit better? Did I do something that kind of steers toward the solution aspect of this as opposed to exacerbating the problem? I have no way of knowing because things have gotten very static in yeah. the way that we interact. And I think that this comes as a mixed blessing for some people in service industries because this whole hackneyed 1950s concept of service with a smile mm -hmm. still permeates a lot of retail. And I've said this for years. You don't have to be all smiley and Pollyanna. Just be professional. Talk to me like I'm a human being. Let's just interact like we're two human beings. I need this thing. You have the capacity to sell it to me. That's really all that needs to happen here. But I do think that having your face covered at this point in time could actually be a little bit of good therapy for some of these people because now there isn't this forced plastic smile that they have to have on all the time. But the other half of that is that you have to wonder if they're ever smiling. Yeah. And you have to wonder whether or not they are enjoying life at all. Because I'm pretty sure they're not enjoying work. But what about after? It's so difficult not being able to see people's faces and not being able to see their smiles. It's something that I miss a lot. I believe that we are seeing a significant breakdown in empathy in society right now. 
because we can't see each other's faces. It's a huge part of how we communicate, and the masks do remove a good portion of our ability to relate as people. They just do. I'm really looking forward to seeing those smiles again, but I'm also going to continue to wear the mask until it's safe for me not to. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think we all want this done. Mm. And I think we all want it done for a variety of reasons. For me, one of the biggest reasons is that I want to see smiles again. Yeah. And it works in the other direction too, because since people can't see me smile, it really makes me wonder if I should even bother, if I should make the effort. And I mean, I still do. I know that I consciously will make eye contact with someone and smile, but I don't know what they're thinking about me anymore when they walk by. I don't know what they're seeing in just my eyes and it's driving me nuts. Smiles in general do a lot of good for those who put one on once in a while and they do a lot of good for other people when you put one on once in a while. So not having that is not helping this situation be any more bearable at all. Now that we've gone through a lot of this heavy, kind of negative stuff surrounding this, I do want to at the lighter side of it because evangelicals, brace yourself. My closing statements here are not going to be anything that you're going to want to hear. (laughs) And I'm just going to put that right out there because no, I don't, again, I don't blame them for this. I don't blame them for starting it, but I sure as hell blame them for perpetuating it the way that they do. Oh yeah. But before we get into that little pocket of vitriol, let's talk about some of the good stuff here. I started thinking as I was putting my notes together for this about Mr. Rogers example about looking for the helpers and how that whole thing churned up again after nine 11. Yeah. And basically just to paraphrase it, I think that it was his mother yeah. who, when they they were watching, whether it was TV or a newsreel, it was a long time ago, and there was some kind of accident or something going on in the streets that the news was covering where people were in jeopardy in one way or another. One of the things that Fred Rogers' mother would tell him is to look for the helpers. Right. And we saw it on 9-11. Mm-hmm. That was my key example, was just watching how people came to each other's aid and then hearing the stories later of certain people who risked and lost their own lives, trying to keep people calm, trying to get them to exits, trying to keep them safe. And there are still, there are still people like that in this world. Yeah. And I think that it's really, really important to remember that too, that there are good people out there. There are people that care about each other. I mean, you see it every time you go out and you see people wearing masks. People wear the masks for different reasons, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that most people understand that they're not doing this for them, that they're doing it for their neighbors, for society in general, so that things can get back to normal. There are people out there who are genuinely good that see someone else in, in distress And they want to help. And there were two things. There were two things from my pretty recent past where I kind of got a good dose of this. And these these two things in particular are what I think about when I see people on these videos screaming at Walmart employees to be let into a store without a mask. Mm -hmm. 
And the thoughts, the memories of these things kind of armor me against a lot of it. I want to tell you a little bit, little story about one morning when I woke up and thought that I had a cramp in my back, Mm. but the cramp wouldn't go away. And no matter what I did, no matter what position I contorted myself into, it didn't get any better. I bombarded it with weed and (laughs) it got better for 20 minutes and came back. Yeah. And at that point, I just, I I came staggering out of the bathroom and I said, I think it's time to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was going on with me at the time. But the instant we walked into the ER and I walked up to that uh, triage nurse, she knew precisely what was going on and literally yelled back to someone in the staff, get bed, whatever ready. We've got a stone coming in. (laughs) So, yeah, I was in the process of passing a kidney stone. I had no clue what was wrong with me for a couple of hours, and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. But the instant that I got there, it became apparent to me that I was in good hands. These people knew pretty much what was going on, and they they had a plan. Before my butt hit that bed, they had a plan. (laughs) Yeah. So they brought me in and got the... uh, of what, whatever it was, Demerol or morphine, or it was it was it something. It was like morphine. It was morphine. It was something yeah. pretty pretty intense because I I was feeling no pain <laughs> yeah. for a while after that, a couple of hours, so that they could do what they needed to do. I was feeling basically normal. I mean, my body was still telling me that there was something going on, right? But I couldn't feel anything for yeah. quite a while. So in my newly relaxed state and not. <laughs> laying there wondering if I was going to live or die. A lot of people go through this. It sucks, but a lot of people go through it. I just started watching what Mm -hmm. these people were doing in the ER. And I remember saying this to you. Mm -hmm. I remember looking at you and saying, these are strangers to these people. And their their zeal for helping them is pretty incredible to me. It's like, yeah. they don't know these people. Why Why should they? And, you know, this is someone who actually has somewhat of a sense of empathy. I'm not saying that I'm saintly in the way that it presents, but I know what it is and I know that I have it. And even I laid there in that hospital bed and was just overcome with how committed these people were to helping strangers. Yeah. I, yeah, I was incredible. I was dumbfounded by just how seriously they took it and the effort that they put in to making people well. And I remember also saying, you know, some of these people have been here since like Friday. It was a Sunday morning yeah. when we showed up at the ER. And I'm like, there are people who have been here and napping when they can. I know this because my mother was an OR nurse for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. So I know how these things work. And... There were people that were caring for me that hadn't seen home and hadn't seen their families in days and were napping when they could get one in Mm -hmm. and just helping, 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 helping because in an emergency room, it's nonstop. There's never downtime. There's always something that's going on there and there's always some need that needs to be fulfilled. And as I'm watching these people do their jobs, it just impressed upon me you know, I, I don't even know if I could put that kind of emotion or that kind of passion into what they were doing, not knowing the people that I was doing it for, not having any 
kind of emotional connection to them. And more to the point, being in a position where you're not allowed to form any kind of, an, of emotional connection to them. Right. That's a really, really important part of working in medicine is doing your best to not become emotionally involved. So taking any semblance of emotion for the individual out of it, watching these people do what they did for the express purpose of letting strangers live one more day, mm -hmm. it had a huge impact on me. And it gave me a whole new respect for people who work in the medical establishment, especially right now, oh, yeah. knowing full well every day they go to work and they could come home with this thing and they could give it to their families and not know. In the context of COVID-19, it means that much more to me because yeah. I know that that one ER is not the only place in the world where that happens, that there's plenty of people out there that are taking huge personal risks right now to try and keep other people well yeah. or to try and treat them when they get sick with this. And there's no, um, there, there's no way that they can social distance. There's right. no way that they can keep their distance and guarantee their own safety. And they're just doing it. Yeah. You know, the other thing was a few years ago when we were up in Bar Harbor. Now we, have been to Bar Harbor, I don't know how many times since the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I think this was our last summer trip up yeah. there. Um, we've since kind of moved on from that tradition, but this was the last time that we were up there. And I, I kind of knew that it was probably going to be the last time, at least for a while, yeah. that we got to go there. And one of the things that I really like to do that my family is not a, a fan of, so... <laughs> This is kind of a solo activity for me when I go up there. I like getting up early, like way before dawn, and driving up to the summit of Cadillac Mountain to watch the sunrise. Cadillac Mountain is said to be the first place that sees the sunrise on the East Coast. Right. So that sunrise happens early mm. in the summertime. Not as early as it would if we went in July. We almost always went in August. So I think I actually got an extra half hour half hour or hour sleep out of the deal because of when we went. But this little activity did involve getting out of bed around four o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. because you had to be up on the mountain about five 30 if you actually wanted to see the sunrise and probably a little bit earlier. So this was my thing. I did it many times before, never had any issues or anything, just went, watched the sunrise, took my pictures and then trundled down the mountain and went over to Jordan's for uh, for coffee and once or twice a couple of their really 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 good pancakes. So that was my my thing. It was the one thing that I did for you know a little bit of a head clearing, me time sort of thing when we were on vacation. And yeah, believe it or not, there are times when you kind of need to clear your head when you're on vacation too. And this for me was excellent therapy until. This uh, this one thing happened. So everyone is starting to disperse. The sun has risen. It's beautiful sunlight. And it's a beautiful day that's just starting on Bar Harbor. So I'm making my way back to my car. And I step over this rock. And it was still early enough that things were still a little dewy and moist. Yeah. And there was a little bit of moss on this rock. I didn't really 
think it through when I put my foot down there, but I put my foot down there and my leg went right out from under me. Mm. And the way that I went down, I still have no idea how I didn't wind up breaking something. Yeah. Whether it would have been my knee, my hip, something should have gone there. And I did wrench my knee pretty good. Yeah. But the thing that really impressed me was how quickly I had people around me who wanted to help. Complete strangers. One was a doctor. (laughs) One was an EMT. One was a massage therapist. Okay. So before I hobbled back to my car and it was okay. By the end of the day, it was still aching, but it wasn't that bad. It probably would have been worse if these people hadn't been on the scene. Okay. So we've got the doctor just looking at the joint because I told I told him that my uh, my knee was hurting. So he's looking at the joint and he's he's seeing a little bit of swelling. The EMT had a first aid kit in her car and came back with a cold pack that sat on my knee for a good 10 15 minutes. And then the massage therapist stayed there through that entire time, kept looking at the knee and massaged my knee for me. <laughs> So that the swelling and the inflammation wouldn't get worse. These were strangers on vacation (laughs) who, by all accounts, should have just looked and said, oh, that's too bad and gone their own way. But that's not what happened. Right. I had a crowd of people around me wanting to help me and and just asking if I was okay. Because sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes you don't have the expertise to help, but you can at least express your concern for a fellow human being. And that's what was happening there. A lot of are you okays? And then three individuals that knew what they were doing and just jumped into action, saved my vacation because this was the first full day of our vacation. (laughs) Okay. I could have spent the whole thing on crutches and not going anywhere, but that's not what happened because these people who had the expertise to be able to help in a situation where someone just needed help, a stranger needed help, they were there. So there are more of those people out there than sometimes I think we tend to recognize and understand. They are there. Right. But in the face of a global pandemic and when you turn on YouTube and it's nothing but quote unquote Karen videos and people arguing about masking, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that they're out there. So, so I wanted to definitely add just a few encouraging words here so that we all understand that there are definitely people out there who are the polar opposite and antithesis to this that they definitely have the compassion and empathy necessary to, 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 number one, do what they need to, to ensure that the people around them are safe. But then there are the ones that are next level, the ones that are working in your hospitals and your, uh, your urgent care centers and just standing there outside cars, swabbing nostrils and putting themselves at risk there too. But, It's all done for the same common purpose, and that is to stop this thing and to help people not keep getting sick and in certain circumstances alert people who might be or get sick from this that they need to get help. 
And most of these people put themselves in harm's way to make that happen. So I think that it's very important that we remember that, that these people are out there and that these are the good eggs. Your mask wearers, your medical personnel, your techs that are swabbing nostrils in parking lots. Mm. Let's not forget that these people are out there and that we need them and that they deserve our respect. And let's not forget that the average service worker deserves our respect because if we don't want to be like everything that we've talked about tonight, it is very important that we make that first step and be the ones that bring peace to the situation and not escalate. It's very, very important. And it's also very important that we understand that you don't need religion to do it and that it's, you're probably better off if you're not trying to apply religion to it. Yeah. So with that in mind, I have a few things to say to our evangelical friends out there who have been just showing their true colors just in the last few weeks, not even over this, but over their insistence that the way that things panned out with this election are somehow false or that there was cheating involved or anything, any any of the, the idiotic arguments that they make. I want to say a few things about that and specifically to the people who are perpetuating this kind of cesspool of bad thought and bad information that is going around right now. So let's talk just for a few minutes about what evangelicals have done and continue to do to discourage empathy in society in general. And yeah, I'm going to be drawing a lot of examples from what's going on right now, but you can change the details and you can see where all of these things can come from other sources as well. It's 2020. This is where we're at. So these are the examples that I'm going to use. So here are some of the things that evangelicals do to discourage empathy, encouraging going to church during a pandemic. This isn't just about the freedom to assemble to worship. It's about all the people they will be in contact with throughout their week. And I think in particular about these people's coworkers, right? how they go to church and they spread this thing around there and they don't even give enough of a fuck about the people that they work with to not go back into those situations knowing, knowing that they could have been exposed. Yeah, They don't care. They go back, they go about their day, they go about their week. And they don't give two shits what happens to anybody at work. And that just absolutely infuriates me. Failing to take reasonable precautions to make their gatherings safe. And yeah, you know what? There's a lot of churches out there that are doing the social distancing thing and the plexiglass thing and, and the whatever thing. But, you know, I'm sorry. Is there any reason why you still can't just be doing it online right now? Right. Is there any reason why you have to tell people that they have to come out and put themselves in jeopardy and then perpetuate all the things that I just talked about? No. Let's talk about getting a Supreme Court ruling to say that it's okay to put people in harm's way and to not stand in the way of you being able to worship. That was one that really, really got to me in the last couple of weeks is that not only are they refusing to close their doors, they're now they've got their buddies on the Supreme Court telling them that it's okay. They've got muscle behind them now. They've got the law behind them now. Yeah. That's how committed they are to having their own way. That's that is it's rage inducing. Yeah. 
to think that now there are laws on the books that tell us that we cannot tell these people to shut down their church services during a pandemic. We can't do it. And I think that that's ridiculous. Let's talk about how they're fueling the delusion that their God still wants Donald Trump as president and will facilitate him being handed another term. Even now, there are so many videos out there. Yeah. I mean, we talked about some of them, but there have been new ones since. And I saw one a couple of days ago that was like 10 minutes of this guy whining at his God about, is this really how it's going to end? Is this really all you're going to do? And all it just, it it sounded like a petulant child. But then again, a lot of them do. Right. And that's so counterproductive. It does absolutely nothing for society. And I'm sorry, at the end of the day, these people have to know as well as anybody else that this is an over and done thing. And why are they not standing up and saying, okay, well, you know what? This happened and we now need to just basically go along with what the American people have asked for here. It may not be precisely what we want, but we can just keep praying for the things that we want and see what God does through this situation. And that's not what they're doing. They are perpetuating this myth that somehow the election was rigged and that this Mm. person should still be president. And it is very, very, very irresponsible. And it does nothing to help people feel any sense of compassion or empathy for anyone who, well, for anyone in general, but for anyone who disagrees with them in in particular. They perpetuate the lie of being Mm pro-life while exhibiting zero empathy for anyone involved in the decision to have an abortion. Zero empathy for the mother's condition, especially if there are medical reasons why she might need to have an abortion. They don't fucking care. If it's God's will that they both die, then they both then they both die. That right there is a brazen lack of empathy. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so why bother doing anything medically for anyone? Because if they die, then that means it's God's will. Right? Well, yeah, but you know that that sounds great until one of them comes down with cancer, right? And then all of a sudden, it's you know I deserve to live, and I deserve to have a quality of life, and I deserve this, and I deserve that. But when it's a complete stranger with a difficult pregnancy, the way things are going, it can become very, very difficult for that person to get an abortion. And they'll be facing not only the death of their unborn baby, but also their own possible death as a result of all the things that can go wrong with a bad pregnancy. Yeah. But there's very, very little care about that. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the term pro-life is a smokescreen. These people oh, are yeah. not pro-life. They oh, are no. pro-birth. Mm-hmm. They don't give two shits about these kids once they're born. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's just that. They assert their rights to things like praying in schools and cry persecution when reminded that the constitutional principle of separation of church and state is still a thing. They don't like that very much. They want to be able to have their way and they want to be able to have their say. Well, what about the ones that don't want to sit there and listen to you pray or be subjected to a prayer to a God that they don't believe in or serve. What about that? Does that matter? No, of course not. As long as your agenda goes through, right? Mm. They preach a gospel of love and acceptance while at the same time shunning anyone who isn't part of an accepted racial, social, or religious strata. I'll refer you directly back to episode 11 
for more information on that and the experiences that we had in our one and only stint in organized ministry. Because there was a whole hell of a lot of that going on in that sorry, sad, miserable, fucked up excuse for a church. They guilt people into giving exorbitant percentages of their income without the first thought to how taking that money is going to affect that person's ability to pay their bills and keep food on their tables. They don't care. Some churches go as far as guilting people for tithing on their net and not on their gross. My old pastor actually made a tongue-in-cheek kind of comment about this and said, now, people have asked me before, should I tithe on my net or on my gross? Well, do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? I think the entire concept of telling someone to give you 10% of their money is gross, period. Just plain gross. No one should ever be asked to just give 10% of their money away. That's that it's a huge chunk of your income. Oh yeah. It shouldn't even be asked for, let alone expected and far too many churches expect it and guilt you if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also did an entire episode on this episode. Number eight is an entire episode on tithing yeah. that I think will expand on that thought really, really well. If you want to check that out. Nearly anything that this religion does teaches people to be selfish and entitled. You're entitled to go to church in the middle of a pandemic. You're entitled to disrupt an entire school's day with a prayer that everyone has to listen to. You're entitled to feel safe in church and not have to share space with someone who makes you feel uncomfortable. You're entitled to not wear a mask because God will protect you. You're entitled to have whomever you want as president, no matter how many millions of people use their votes to tell you that you can't. And you're entitled to throw a shit fit when you don't get your way. Mm. It's all about your comfort, baby. Isn't that right? You are a child of the most high and membership in this family has its privileges. Arrogance and self-importance are key contributors to an inability to feel empathy. And these things run rampant through evangelical Christianity. Now to turn the spotlight a little bit away from that, because believe me, there was more that I could say there, and I exercised what I consider to be considerable restraint. There's a lot more anger that I could unleash on these people, but you know what? I also know that there comes a point where righteous anger kind of spills over into the, into the wrong direction too. So I'm going to sort of leave that there. No one who listens to this show regularly is surprised by the way that I feel about these people and, and what they do, or by the let's let's be fair by the system that drives people to do what they do and teaches them that it's okay but to those of us who still care about our fellow human beings i have this to say keep doing what you're doing keep being the example keep doing the right thing and know that it is making a difference especially now especially if you're a service worker and helping people get their groceries, especially if you're standing in a parking lot in freezing cold weather and shoving Q-tips up people's noses so that they can know whether or not they're well or need to seek help. You guys matter. You matter big time. Keep doing the right thing and know that it is making a huge difference in the world right now, in your community, in individual people's lives. It's making a difference. All the things that you are doing for people right now matter. And you know what? That crazy book gets it right sometimes, especially Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And in this case, that harvest is not having to wear masks. It's about being able to go to concerts and movies again. It's about being able to go to the beach and not have to mask up when you go to the bathroom. 
Mm. It's about not having to worry about how close the next group is to you on the beach or at the park if you just want to go and have a picnic. Those are the things that we will reap a harvest of if we remain diligent and if the people who are out there helping us move forward in those efforts keep doing what they're doing and keep doing it well. And I just want to say a big thank you because I don't think those words have come out of my mouth yet to the people that I've been talking about who are on the front lines, who exercise their empathy toward people just by hitting that alarm in the morning and going to work. So thank you. If no one said it to you recently, thank you. Thank you. It matters. You know, many of us are feeling weary and that's just the way it is right now. I want to encourage you to keep fighting the good fight using things like love, compassion, empathy, and common sense as your quote unquote weapons of choice. When this pandemic is over, continue being the example. That's an even bigger challenge. When the masks come off, make a point of smiling. People will so appreciate seeing it. Be polite, be patient when others aren't, especially with service workers. Don't expect them to be nice, please. And you know what? I'll admit that I've dropped the ball on this um, a few times. And it's something that I need to work harder at. I've kind of lashed back a few times when it's gotten unconscionably bad, or at least in my mind, my mind at that moment says that it's unconscionably bad. Well, what they're going through is unconscionably bad too. So we need to remember that. And I need to remember it a little bit more myself. Many of them are going to suffer post-traumatic stress as a result of having to live and work through a global pandemic. And they're going to suffer all kinds of mental duress for putting themselves on the front lines every day, risking exposure and never getting the respect that they deserve. And many of them won't be able to afford the therapy they'll need later to move past or manage the effects of this time in their lives. So do all of us a favor. Don't ever expect things to just go back to normal. Normal is over, but the need for empathy and compassion aren't. Just one more parting shot here at our evangelical friends. Now that I've kind of taken it down to a little bit more of a level, um, just on a purely conversational level, pour your Earl Grey and listen, okay? To the evangelicals listening and to those who think that they might still get some sort of benefit out of staying in that cesspool of a religion, I have a few questions. For starters, what happened to the parable of the Good Samaritan? Why doesn't that matter anymore? What happened to the definition of true religion being the care for widows and orphans in their distress, according to James 1.27? Whatever happened to the message in that same verse about not being polluted by the world? May I take it a step further and suggest that it also means not polluting the world with toxic thoughts, opinions, and behaviors? And may I further suggest that keeping people under bondage and leaving them in a place where their sense of self is constantly fighting for position may not be the best way to teach them how to have empathy? And lastly, may I further suggest that since your organization has the levels of influence that it has over society and government, that it is not only within your power, but also your responsibility to steer society away from the kinds of thoughts and behaviors that you choose instead to perpetuate, thoughts and behaviors that validate a lack of empathy, thoughts and behaviors that make people more egotistical and self-centered as they struggle to cling to their own senses of self. Your religion 
may not be the root of the problem, but it's where plenty of it gets cultivated and receded in people's minds from long before they have the capacity to consider the right or wrong of it. Oh, and as for the political influence thing, that doesn't seem to be as big a point of leverage for you as it has been in the past. Go ahead and let the world watch you wallow in your delusions. Let them see you throw your tantrums. Let them see you plead with your God to allow a monster to continue ravaging your country. Let them see it and let them laugh. Let them revel in your God's failure to carry out his will. The more they see you as something laughable, the harder it will be to maintain your influence. And once that unravels, maybe we actually can achieve a more polite society for real. One that purposes to do the right thing simply because that's what it is, not because you get a cookie after you die. One that recognizes our need for each other, to support each other, to help each other and look out for each other instead of just looking for people to show up at church with their wallets. Maybe we need to move past that. Maybe, just maybe, if your failure to get your way and your infantile response to it has enough of an impact, you know what? It might just be the thing that society needs to get and stay unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound.